I don't know what number episode this is, but it's another episode of Just Jossin' Around. I'm it's really number one. Ex- yeah, that's yeah, number one on the field and number one in your heart. That's a um, game plan doing the Rock Johnson quote. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm excited for this episode. We have a really cool guest today. Just uh, taped a special recently, mm-hmm. a list of wet celebrities. Yeah. We have Zach Peterson today. Hello. Yes. That's me. I'm so happy you said yes to doing this. You could have said no. Why would I? This is fun. Oh, good. Okay. I'm I'm very excited. So I know you've done, that's not your first special. You have one other special that you've done. Yeah. This is the first one that's going to be released as video with like, you know, yeah. actual, my actual being on film or digitally, whatever, put on the internet. You know, the rest was all audio. And I heard that there's going to, there might be a vinyl possibly it's uh i'm in talks with some people um i've already got uh the uh the new one i got a record label burn these records burn this records yeah out of los angeles it's going to release it digitally and it's going to be on xm and all that stuff and they just put my old uh old one midwestern jokes for the americas on xm so that's out there now um and i'm in talks with some other people I got one guy sort of representing me with all, I mean, represent, I'm not paying him. Uh, <laughs> he's just nice. He's kindly uh, going to record labels and seeing who's going to, if anyone wants to press it and then put it in stores around the country. Wow. That's yeah. fantastic. I was at your special taping um, in severe psychosis, but I was there in spirit <laughs> at least. It was amazing. How long did it take you to put this, uh, how long have you been working on this specific hour? That uh, that hour, it's it's wild because, I mean, I cut my first record right when I moved to Los Angeles. Right before I moved to Los Angeles, I did it here in Omaha on 311 because it's Omaha. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Los Angeles. And then Los Angeles, like, not a lot of opportunities for me and stage time. You know, you got to work your way up. And I didn't really have time because I was working all the time because Los Angeles is can i swear yeah you fucking can. expensive yeah. it's so expensive uh so i had to work like 80 hours a week and i couldn't do comedy at all and then i came back and then the you know i went back to chicago for like a year and i was working on stuff and then i came back to omaha and then the pandemic hit so i mean it probably took six years but about half that time i wasn't doing comedy So there was like three years in there where it was, you know, real touch and go in terms of writing. So I'm really interested with this new, like, you know, because I got to get rid of all that stuff. I mean, I'm not going to until I have something new, but uh, I'm really interested to see how long it takes me to write another hour when I, when there's not all these things that happen in, in the world and in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I was, that's why I was wondering um, too about, I lost my train of thought immediately. But yeah, so six and a half years with breaks in between to do the hour. So your first one, Midwestern Jokes. Midwestern Jokes for the Americas. How long did that one take? That was the first seven years of doing comedy. Wow. Yeah, that was, you know, I had had some of the first jokes I wrote on there. And yeah, and but I mean, it just always evolves and like the stuff that's good I kept and then the other stuff I did not. But so when you retire, like did you retire every thing from that album or did you kind of just do you use things in time like yeah yeah i mean there's stuff that like if i do a corporate 
Yeah. I'll, I'll go all the way back and use stuff off that record because it's clean. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the stuff on the new record isn't clean, but I need the time. So yeah. I'll just like pull from there. Although probably 90% of those jokes, I do not remember. <laughs> I, like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> if it's like, like someone's like, Oh, I love that joke. I'm like, I haven't told that joke in five years and I have no idea how it goes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, after all that time, it's hard to remember, especially if you're always writing. Yeah, I don't remember half the jokes I did on the record last week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I do, I am curious though, like, were there jokes on this special that you felt were like non-negotiable, they're going to work no matter what, like jokes that maybe weren't hitting when you first were doing them, but you were right. like, this is going in the hour. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff because... I don't do my 45, my like my set 45 a lot in Omaha because a lot of the times I'm working on things or this is sort of, I take that opportunity to get a little more, bit more loose, you know, just like yeah. sort of see what works and all that stuff. And um, this is the first time in a long time where I just took my standard 45, my, my standard headlining set that I do around the country and just put it right on stage. And so all that stuff, like it has a place and it has connections and things like that. Um, I hate to get rid of it because it works really well. But like the, 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 the closer about the movies, that was, that's one of my favorite things I've ever written. The pickle. The, the pickle, the yeah. wet alien. Yeah. Uh, that stuff. I really like that stuff. Um, I'll be, that's the last stuff that's going to go. You know, I want to use that until I don't, I have another closer. And that's the thing. Cause when, when you start over, you have. You know, I need something at the beginning that's going to get people on my side and get the ball rolling. I need stuff at the end, you know, to really sort of cap it off a grand finale. And now I just I'm left with nothing. I have no idea how anything's going to work. And I'm working on new material now and it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't want to. I want everything to work. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like writing new material. It's it's scary, especially if there's like safety there. I can't talk from experience i feel like i just started doing comedy yesterday um but yeah you're definitely one of those people and this is kind of off topic but not really but i feel like you're a beacon of light to com the comedians at least my age the young ones who are getting into comedy as to like what you can do where you can go sure what the possibilities are in comedy um yeah and i i think that it's sort of it's there's a lot more opportunity out there from Omaha than there's ever been. And I think there's more stage time and there's better shows. And I sincerely think that some of the comics now are like working the hardest and some of the better comics I've ever seen in Omaha at one time. So it's really rad to see everyone do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I agree. I, I had on a question down here, like how does Omaha compare to bigger scenes? Just because I feel like there is like a level of, camaraderie and everyone's working hard and mm -hmm. just trying to put out good work yeah well i think that's the thing that people should focus on you know and uh we're lucky lucky enough to have the funny bone in the back line the yeah. funny bone uh you know comparatively to a lot of clubs around the country are a lot more open to newer comics with the clash and then they just sort of have an open door policy for comics come hang out i want to we they want to get to know you and stuff like that Diggs and colleen are just super kind and then uh backline you know gives everyone sort of like this hub to hang out hang, hang out with try shows and stuff like that and then there's there's a good amount of uh bars and performance spaces that will help everyone out sort of get that and it basically comes down to 
uh, getting on stage and sort of seeing how it works and sort of, you know, using trial and error to figure out what works the best. And uh, we have a good amount of that. And compared to other places, they don't. I mean, there's there's towns and cities that are larger than Omaha that don't have the opportunities or the stage time that Omaha has. Uh, while we'll never be a Denver, a Chicago, an Atlanta, stuff like that, I, th- I would rank Omaha near the top of cities uh, of equal size in terms of the ability to do comedy and do it well. And we have, we have a great, you know, scene and uh, old guard folks, you know, uh, Nick Allen and Cameron and, you know, Heather Jones and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're all really, really great comics and they've been working at it for a long time and they've accomplished a lot from where they're from. And it's, it's not easy. And a lot of the times when people move to a Chicago or LA or stuff like that, it's for opportunities. But if you get those opportunities here at a place where uh, standard of living is 40% cheaper than the rest, than uh, like the coast, then why not? Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. It's, with that beautiful explanation, that's like, I wish I could just play that every time someone asked me why I would want to do stand-up in Omaha. Right. Just want to be like, it's just, because why not? It's, yeah. everything is in your advantage, and you have every opportunity here. Um, it's more accessible than it would be in it another city. Well, it's, I mean, I think that sort of comes, from, like so any opposition sort of comes from a, a all-or-nothing mindset. You know, like, oh, you're doing comedy, but you're not going to be famous. What's the point of doing comedy? <laughs> so, well, I like doing it. Like, it's like, I'm just trying to have a good time. Right, right. What do you do? <laughs> you know, you sell insurance. Wow. Why aren't you doing it in the in a better insurance place? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, with a better insurance scene or whatever. Like, I mean, not to talk shit on anyone that sells insurance, but, yeah. you know, like, good. If that's how you want to spend your life, that's what you should do. And, um, you know... Being in the Midwest isn't uh, a good thing in terms of fame or the entertainment industry is very far away. Uh, but look, we're doing a really nice podcast and yeah. there's, there's a bunch of fucking triangles and shit on, behind me. <laughs> uh, is, yeah. <laughs> so it looks it looks great. I, yeah, I, the and, Midwest is great. Yeah, and, and every, every town has something... Uh, has cool people, has people that are doing things. And uh, the entertainment industry, because it's moving online and it's more personalized than ever, like it's n- the, the, the hubs aren't as important anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just about doing work and making things. And yeah. if if you are doing things and making things that you believe in and you enjoy, then there's no reason not to do it. Yeah, I agree with that wholly with my whole heart. And you kind of mentioned how people, like, you know, they assume that, you know, maybe you're doing comedy for, like, some kind of fame or not just because of the love of comedy. What made you want to do comedy? I, When I first started doing comedy, uh, before comedy, I was in a bunch of bands, a bunch of, like, punk rock bands and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And I was hardcore bands and metal bands. And... The thing was, I was always the singer, and which means, you know, I was like yelling. <laughs> and <laughs> and w- when yelling is your only talent, you don't have a lot of musical ability, <laughs> right? This is a new fact that I'm <laughs> yeah, learning yeah. about you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I could, I can yell all the time. I mean, still do with the comedy a lot of the time, but 
uh, you know, when, when the bands dissolve, you know, I have nowhere to go and my, uh, quote unquote talent isn't, there's, there's no need for it. So I sort of had all this energy, all this sort of creative energy, cause it's always something I've really enjoyed and I had to put it somewhere. And, uh, I had friends that are like, we should do sketches online and stuff. And we started doing that and I got a little bit of attention here and there. And then, members of like the little group that I was in uh, started doing stand-up and I was like, that looks cool. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to open mics and just watch for a while. And then I finally got the uh, gumption to get up on stage. And I did. And like, I remember my first time on stage, it was the coolest thing and it was the best feeling. Uh, and so I just kept doing it and then kept doing it and then it sort of overtook my life yeah mm-hmm. it does that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I remember the first time i met you was at the back line on new year's day it's where i met you and cameron and ethan and mm-hmm. annalisa and uh i think it was cameron who said you know you're either here because um you know you got stood up on a date or you want to do stand-up i was like I want to do stand-up. And, like, just thinking about where my life was at that point to where it is now, comedy is, like, a toxic girlfriend. Well, not toxic, but, you know, like, they (laughs) takes over. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely does because, I mean, it encapsulates so much of what life is, is, you know, your social, the social aspects. Like, I don't leave my house besides to do comedy. I don't talk to many people that aren't comics. Uh and, you know, I plan vacations around it. I do all that stuff because it's what I enjoy doing. Yeah. And without it, man, I have no idea what I do. And when I think about quitting or ever, like, you know, stopping, I was like, what, what else would I do? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, who are some of your major influences for comedy? Oh. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, they've always changed, but I mean, I remember one of the first like comedy records I ever listened to was Stephen Wright's I Have a Pony, which is, oh, it's, he's just very silly. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know how to describe, like his jokes are just like, uh, I put instant coffee in the microwave and went back in time. He's very like Hedbergish in terms <laughs> yeah. of low energy. And yeah, Mitch Hedberg was another one. I love the one liner guys uh, going on, uh, starting. And um, that's what I was when I first started. I was just trying to do those non sequitur one liners. Yeah. Um, but those were like my favorites. And when I started the culture of comedy and like sort of what was big and what was uh, more, what's the word? Like, this more prescient in terms of the Zeke guy stuff comedy. Cause now it's very like Joe Rogan ish and all that stuff. And that's just what's popular. Burt Crasher and all that. Yeah. And you know, to each their own, but back, back in my day, you know, back in the early two thousands, uh, it was, you know, like Eugene Merman, Scott Ackerman and the comedy bang bang podcast. And, uh, just real, real silly <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, from there, I think I got more really into people like Kyle Kinane mm-hmm. um, and uh, John Mulaney is one of my favorites, Maria yeah. Bamford. Uh, you know, and there's just, since then, there's just been so many comics where you see like, wow, they're really good. And you sort of just like sort of get it really excited about seeing some people live. Uh, like one of the best specials I've watched recently is Ron Barcolo. Barcarlo? Bar, he's a Cincinnati guy and he's just very riff heavy and 
You know, you know, Sam Talent. Yes. Yeah, he's very like a sort of the same school of Sam Talent, where he just messes around. And Sam, speaking of which, Sam Talent is one of my favorites. You know. Yeah. He just, I, <laughs> I really enjoy, uh, real like silly. You know, out. I don't know if out there, but just fun. When you he, know, when he came to Zoo Bar, that was extremely special. That was really cool. He, he's great. I mean, yeah. he's he's great. He's been coming through here for over a decade. Yeah. And you saw, you know, it was, I've seen him grow and, uh, it's just really cool to see his, like his success that he's had. Uh, and yeah, but there's, there's so many comics that are on that, like the level before, you know, not even Sam's level, but you know, a little bit getting some attention, but not a whole heck of a lot that are like some of my favorites, you know, just because it's the boots on the ground, organic doing it cause they love it. Mm-hmm. And they develop their own style, and that stuff's so cool to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I, I mean, as far as like getting excited about comedy, I recently, I don't know why it took me so long to even like get into like, I've been binge watching Sarah Silverman. Mm. And last night I watched like, she's got like three specials, two of them on HBO Max. And I've just been binge watching her style and everything. I'm like, it just, that crave for more and excitement that I feel I'm like, I haven't felt this way about comedy in a second. Right. Right. But it's, it's a good feeling. Um, what age were you when you started stand up? And mm. then did you start it in, in, in Omaha? I started in Omaha when I was 27 years old. 27. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm 41 now. So I've been doing it for 13, 14 years. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, I was always, I, I felt like the old person then. And if I only knew, <laughs> You know, 41, I'm still doing it, you know, but it's, it's better than music in that way. Cause at 27, I felt like the old person in punk rock and cause I was, and now like I go on the road and you know I'll, I'll work with people that are 50s, 60s. And it's like, cool. I and mean, this is something that you can do your whole life mm-hmm. if you want to like, uh, it's, I mean, may, maybe we don't see that as much here in Omaha, but you go to Denver, you go to Chicago, you see, you know, there's just people of all ages that are doing it and, you know, they found their own little niche. Yeah. And, and that's the cool part. Cause I mean, if you don't succeed in, in, in maybe the way that you thought you were going to, you can always sort of find where you're supposed to be. And, and, and that's really cool. Yeah. I guess I was going to ask, you know, like, what do you think the secret to like longevity and comedy is? But mm-hmm. I think you've kind of answered it by saying just having the love for it and right. passion keeps you in. Right. I, I love doing stand up comedy. Uh, there's nothing better than a night where, you know, you get to go on stage and the crowd is really good and mm-hmm. sold out show. And they, you know, they're just really loud and you feel like you hit all your jokes and you get off stage and you're just like, ah, yeah, that's, you know, that's what you do it for. And so, uh, I don't know of another way to get that feeling. Yeah. It's, it is definitely a high that can't be matched or mm-hmm. met with anything else. Mm-hmm. It's a good feeling. Yeah. It's, I, and I think that can, that can last you. And as long as you're doing something you're happy with, I mean, cause I, I'm reading this book, uh, by Rick Rubin about, like art and produce and creating stuff. And, and it's like the act of creation or something. I forget what it's called. Uh, it's a good book. It's his only book. So Rick Rubin's Rick book. Rubin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just like, you know, if you have that urge to make something, then you should. Mm-hmm. And for no other reason besides making it. 
and it's you know it happens that people seem to enjoy it so it makes me happy and gives me something to do yeah for sure i and you also teach several people you teach comedy classes Mm -hmm. at the backline theater um what's always what's like advice that you give or like what's a mistake that you see a lot of new comics um maybe either in their writing or just getting into comedy sure I think the the first the first uh, two hour class is about creating trust with the audience. They have to like you. Mm-hmm. The audience doesn't owe you anything, and you don't deserve anything. So it's about getting on stage and sort of letting people like you. Be the good guy. And I think there's so many pe- folks that go in. And they're just like, I can do whatever I want on stage, and everyone's going to like it. And it's like that's not how yeah you know it it comes from that from the sort of idea that comics can do whatever they want you know and they have carte blanche and you know however you may feel about that it's whatever but in order to do whatever you want and go wherever you want you have to create trust uh for people to follow you one of the best uh pieces of advice our guy was from nick allen first year doing comedy he goes you're going to have to want to people are going to want to have to follow you into a dark room right it's you have to create trust and they have to like you and that's your first job and once you can do that then you can you have a little bit more leeway but it's creating trust and maintaining that trust throughout your entire set you know because people are trusting you they're they're giving money to hear you talk you know and it could be someone's only friday night out for the next you know maybe they just had a kid or maybe they just don't go out very much and it's their only night out that year you want to make it good so it's sort of this weird parlor trick where you get everyone on the same page and having a good time and if you can do that then you can do whatever you want really but the the thing is the audience has to like it Everyone has to be stoked. If if you're not doing that, then you're not doing a good job. And uh, it may sound a bit cynical, but uh, as comics, we can be replaced by a karaoke machine 95% of the time. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because <Yeah. laughs> most bars like, well, it's either this or karaoke. Yeah. And, you know, that's it. And so you have to, you know, you have to sell yourself. And you have to sell what you're doing. And you have to make people want to see more and I, I think so much of the time we don't view comedy as a critical like going into comedy and starting co- starting in comedy we don't view comedy as a critical uh with a critical eye because we, we just we, we think it's something that happens to us mm. you know instead of like what is being done what is uh what are they saying why do i like this and if you view it through that you get a better you gain a better understanding. I always liken it to uh, when you start playing guitar, you know, you, you play guitar and then you're like, oh, okay. And they start listening to music different because you start to understand what they have to do to make that guitar sound the way it does. And when you start comedy, you're going to have to start doing that. Why do I like that? What device did they use? How are they getting to the sensitive subject? You know? Yeah. No, that was good. Now, I mean, without maybe getting too much into probably what you teach in your class, like, mm-hmm. what do you think is like the first step? Do you think like building trust with the audience? Is it have to do with your like appearance? Like, because I feel like at least in my comedy, I tell these stories where I'm I'm the piece of shit or I've done something wrong, and so I'm I'm thinking in my head like how 
do you um, go about building trust with your with the audience? Sure, it's it's. I think it's mostly through, through sincerity mm-hmm. of, of showing and being the person that you are. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, people are likable in one way or another, and if you have things that aren't uh, quickly accepted by the audience, then tell them why you think that mm-hmm. because. It, since you're on stage, people want to trust you. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is is uh, let people know that you're trustworthy and you're coming from a place of good. Uh, be the hero, right? Be the be the good person. You want to be a good person, even if you're saying like think about like a Bill Burr bit where he says something. He gets into something that's a little unpopular. Mm-hmm. He says it, and then he goes into why it's a reasonable thing to say. You know, because he's appealing to him being a human being and all of us having a uh, sort of universal experience with these unpleasant or uh, inconvenient thoughts. So it's it's essentially be sincere, be yourself. And if you are that, then that means you're going to be original. You're going to be yourself because you are uh, coming from a place that is like nowhere else, Uh, you know, because... Uh, Mark Marin says that all the things outside of us have been talked about to death. The only things that haven't are inside of us. Mm. So, and, and so That's I just good. sort of, yeah, just talk about yourself, why you think things. Cause uh, you can, you can talk about whatever, but why do you think that, you know, how does it make you feel? And, and it's just sort of a uh, unraveling your own stuff and put it in front of people. And while that can seem very isolating, uh, when you have a lot of like, you know, a lot of isolating thoughts like myself and you put it out there and people are like, hell yeah, that's exactly how I feel. You're like, ah, okay. I'm not as crazy as I thought. <laughs> um, so as far as like having that sincerity that comes from just being original and I feel like comedy like definitely forces you to find your voice in a sense. Was that something that you felt like you learned quickly into comedy or did it take you how long did it take you to kind of find your voice in comedy? Uh, Maria Bamford says there's no worse thing a comic can do is find their voice before 10 years in. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, I, I don't know if I have a voice. It, um, you know, the book I'm reading says, you know, follow the excitement. Like, what do you like? And where, where are the mm-hmm. things that make you excited? Uh, I would just, I, I think it happens by happenstance because we have that feedback loop of, the things that you say to the crowd and the crowd comes back, then you're yeah. going to try to find those same things to get back to the positive reinforcement. And if you're doing it through your own original thoughts, then you're sort of, it's going to develop on its own. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's something that's really worth being concerned about uh, because it should be organic. And if you start to define yourself within the, uh, sort of restrictions and borders, then you're going to feel like you shouldn't go outside of that, which I don't think is something I, I think that if we want to grow and become better and different than we were in the past, then we have to sort of get rid of these, uh, these ideas of where we end and then we can continue on. Um, yeah. I wouldn't worry about voice. All right. I like that answer because mm. I feel like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like I've from outside sources, I've heard like, you know, need this, this pressure of needing to find a voice and needing to find like 
my identity and who like I am in comedy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people maybe also feel this way as well, but it's just, that's kind of relieving to, or like, I don't know. I feel relief knowing that right. it's it, to not put a label or try to box it in. It'll, it'll come organically. The only time you ever need to think about that is when you're marketing yourself mm -hmm. into a bio you know, or like mm. this person is this. Cause you know, there's like a uh, Trey Crowder, the liberal redneck, you know, it's like that works great for him. Cause it's a great way for him to be marketed, but I don't think that encapsulates his complete act, you know, but it's, it's one of those things that people want to put on posters to have them to come to your show. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you should worry about in terms of the material you're doing and how you are on stage. Mm. All right. That was good. That was like therapeutic for me oh, to hear, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Hopefully whoever was listening also got some therapy from that. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Broken Magic. Mm -hmm. When did you start Broken Magic? I started Broken Magic when I moved back to Omaha about four or five years ago. Yeah. I mean, I released my own record under Broken Magic Records, which was the record label that I released my own stuff on. and. Okay. I just sort of wanted it to be an umbrella term for all the things that I do um, because Broken Magic's a lot easier to remember than Zach Peterson. <laughs> and if I start putting my name as Zach Peterson Presents on all my shows, then who cares? You know, <laughs> who's Zach Peterson? Broken Magic is a little bit more like of this, uh, like a collective. It has a better, I, I think it just sort of has like, oh, it's a group because. Um, it can be more nebulous. It doesn't have to be just me. And I don't, once I have see someone's name, like Zach Peterson presents, I'm like, shut up. You know, that's <laughs> like, so smart. Cause I was literally just going to go into how, like, I feel like broken magic is like a trustworthy brand of comedy Exactly. where, you know, when people I, like, I know any broken magic show, if there's someone I've never seen before, it's going to be good. Cause it's broken magic. Yeah. Well, well yeah. Well, that's the point. Cause I mean, there's, uh, I'm not, I don't want to throw shade on anyone, but you know, there, there's newer comics that will go on the produce shows and the shows won't be great. And that's okay. That's a process of getting better. And I think everyone should throw, throw shows and sort of understand the production of comedy. But I wanted like a banner to put all my stuff under because you can be like, okay, you got burned by comedy in the past. Well, guess what? All these shows are going to be you know, up to snuff. They're going to be of a certain value because I've been doing this for so long. I know what I'm doing. I have connections throughout the country and I only bring in people that I can really stand behind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I, and I love broken magic cause you have the pop-up shows everywhere. Um, could you ever see it coming into like a fuller concept of taking a physical form of maybe, <laughs> I mean that that'd be really cool. I yeah. would love that. I mean, in terms of having like a club or like yeah. a, a central place to do that, I I would. I mean, that's like sort of a dream, but I don't think that it's good. It'd be a good thing for Omaha right mm -hmm. now because I think we have enough. Yeah, you know, like I couldn't imagine competing on a Friday and Saturday <laughs> night with the backline yeah. and everyone else. You know what True. I mean? No, I get what you're saying yeah. for sure. Which. Which was like, I wrote underneath that question though, like, could you see Broken Magic going into other cities or is this something that you want to keep specific to Omaha? Uh, because of like the nature of 
me curating it, it would have to, I would have to have like control, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if anyone else in other cities would want that, you know, or yeah. some of towner guys going to tell them who to book. Uh, I, I think that if, if there was a, um, you know, an opportunity to go into a different city and maybe me booking it, uh, or if someone wanted to have the hand, the reins of broken magic. Yeah, sure. But I don't see the point. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, or if someone's like, yeah. Hey, there's this thing in Omaha that does re- reasonably well, uh, <laughs> here in Indianapolis, <laughs> It's a new thing, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, I, they should just start their own thing, you yeah. know, and that gives them a little bit more freedom. And I don't, not me poking around. Yeah. No, I think Broken Magic should just stay special to Omaha. Right. And, and also if you are someone that's like, I want to start up new stuff and I want to do that kind of like the stuff that Zach does, I want to have a big blanket thing. It's like, you should cool. I'm not, you know, there's, there's enough room for everyone and competition makes, uh, you know, makes comedy better. You know, if you're like, I can do better shows, good, do them, book me. <laughs> Please. Yeah, you said book me. Yeah, book me. If your shows are better, hell yeah, I want to do them. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's, it's it's simply why I do it. And I think that the branding thing is uh, just, you know, it, it works. It's better because uh, it's just better than Zach Peterson Presents, which would suck. No, that's I that was smart. And I had always wondered, like, at the core, what Broken Magic really was if it was just you know the name of the show but yeah broken magic i see it it's it's a lot of different things but that's that's cool um i kind of wanted to take a little bit of a left turn just because i have recently had some mental health issues i had full-blown psychosis like yeah yeah, I, i thought it was jesus christ um not yeah it was a whole thing it was very bad but now I'm on psych meds. And when I think of being on psych meds, I think of your joke right. about not being able to drink on psych meds. You're right, like, right, do you right. want me to run a school into this building or run a yeah. bus into the, <laughs> the psych meds? Yeah. But, but you're feeling good now? Um, I think I'm feeling a lot better. Yeah. But it's still like an adjustment that I'm like, am I going to be funny? Like, <laughs> it's, I right. don't know. I feel like how, so when you're obviously on psych meds. Oh, yeah. When uh when did you get on that and did it affect your comedy? Yeah, uh, yes and no, um, because I got on site. I have OCD uh, with intrusive thoughts of this sounds really bad, hurting people. But it's not like it's not like physically hurting people, like mm-hmm. saying insulting and mean things to them. Mm-hmm. Like I would, uh, my my therapist describes it as like you're. I'm so afraid of being a bad person that I would manifest the ways that people uh, could see me as that way. Mm. So anything that I've done, I can be like, how can I ruin this? And that's what my mind's doing. And so I have these like intrusive thoughts and I started getting them on stage and it's very, and my, my mind was like, you know, has like a two lane highway, one of like this, like all these terrible things that I could say. And then the rest of my mind be like, you better not, you don't say it. And then it's like, I'm gonna. And then, so like, there's this like big fight in my head and then I'm still trying to tell my jokes, Yeah, you know, and it, it really wasn't helpful and it was bad. And, you know, I have severe anxiety and depression and it makes social interaction. It did made it a lot more difficult. 
where in you know that's why I drank so much and because I was I was a big dumb drunk you know like 17 years I probably had a drink 90% of those days you know and uh when I got on the psych meds that stuff didn't happen anymore and I was on anti-anxiety meds so interacting with folks became less of a chore and honestly it helped me like it helped like the joke writing stuff that's difficult i mean that's always been difficult regardless um and the getting up but getting on stage was easier I, i'm on anxiety meds it's like performance yeah. enhancing drugs you know where like i'm not scared to get on stage i'm not worried about it and i'm stone cold sober clear as a bell uh and helpful and you know there would be days where i just sleep all day and i don't have those anymore you know where but i you know meds come with challenges a hundred percent no matter what you're on uh it's gonna come with some challenges and i i also have adhd i have have all sorts of stuff but you know i have a whole myriad of things uh but you know i'm not on adhd medication because that interferes with my writing that interferes with the way my mind works and and uh you know i don't think it's worth that yeah so i don't know i mean the the way things occur in terms of creativity may change you know but i doubt that they could ever really stop if you have the desire to do it you may have to have a new uh you know process but that's comforting i i don't know why that was like the first thing that went through my head getting put on meds is because like i do feel different i feel Mm -hmm. like i interact different now i don't know like i just feel different i mean i feel i did not realize how depressed i was Mm -hmm. and how like you know snapping out of it like it's the medication is great but that was my anxiety was like, what am I going to be like on stage now? Am I going to be perceived differently? And now, and I had just watched, I got recommended to watch Gary Goldman's the great depression. Yes. And listening to him talk about that, it was like, I just had never heard. I mean, I feel like comics are a hub can be a hub for mental illness. I just hadn't heard it talked about on stage so openly Mm -hmm. like that before. And even in that special, there's like a scene where he's talking with uh, Robert Kelly about how it made him better and not, it wasn't for the worse. Right. Which, cause that's, that was my, and it was, it was very like healing to see that because right. I was like, that's just been my anxiety about going back into stand up. of it's, it's scarier than like, I always had anxiety of doing stand up high or drunk uh, mm-hmm. um the worst fear is actually sober on <laughs> psych meds that's right that's where i'm at <laughs> right but but it's it's just another challenge and, and you know especially if a, a healthy mind and a healthy person does better stand-up comedy than someone who is leaning on something else there, there there's yeah. this uh there's this idea that artists have to suffer you know like we're we're a tortured genius that you know is on the fringes of society and and that's not true it's simply not true we don't have to be sad to create you know and in fact that creating is what makes us you know happy Mm -hmm. so uh, i think 
if you are anxious about that, I, I think that if you create and when you create, uh, the, that sort of anxiety will probably go away. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just a matter of getting into it. It's like, it's just this, I don't know. It's, I almost have the same nerves about it, which is why I'm like forcing myself to get back at the mics this week. But like, I have this almost anxiety of like, as if it were my first time. Uh huh. Cause I just feel like completely like 180 from the last time I did stand up. Right. But again, I'm after our conversation, I think it's for the better. I'm hoping it's for the better. Yeah. I, I hope so too. I bet it is. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. It was just definitely a drastic change. Um, but like, do you, I was talking about this with my stepmom, but like, why, why do you think, I mean, I guess this is kind of a dumb question. Does comedy like attract this like mental illness, these people, the mental illness as greatly as it does? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think there's a a couple different thoughts that I have. Why? I mean, a, it's the grandiose pay attention. I'm important, you know, and that can lead to a lot of different, you know, things also, uh, we're more sensitive you know, we're a little bit more open in terms of who we are, what we experience, what our perception is, and sort of we go we go down into our own mind and feelings more so than other people and examine and under, try to understand them as best as possible. And it's not an easy task. And when things are off, you know, we question, we think, we feel. And uh, another thing is that, that I've, I've read is that when people don't have the ability, the emotional ability, and I think this is where I fall in the emotional ability to really connect to people. uh, Sometimes they use, uh, they use humor to please other people Mm -hmm. because it's a signal that they could understand. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone, if I make someone laugh, it's like, good, they like me, you know, without any nuance, You know, there's no other like, what did that look mean? What did that, you know, that tone of voice shift and stuff like that. But if I'm just like, I just make them laugh, like, all right, they like me. Good. You know, and that's something that I can understand and I can control. Uh, So I I think it's sort of a mixture of all the things of, you know, social skills, not being up to snuff, uh, you know, the sort of the feeling you know, like <laughs> maybe I don't feel as deeply or don't feel right. Um, sort of uncomfortable being an outsider comes to all that too. Feeling as though an outsider is not someone who doesn't belong into the, the, uh, whatever you want to call it, the mainstream, the, the, the prevailing culture or whatever. If you feel like you're an outsider, then, you know, you're going to comment on what everyone else is doing. Things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did I, tell you, I did a TED talk on my mental illness. Did you? Like a TEDx talk, yeah. Okay, I will have to watch that. I don't know where it is. I think I'm it's sure online. I, find it. I got COVID, so I had to do it from home because I was all ready and I was all organized and I bought a jacket oh. and then I got COVID at the Rubber City Comedy Festival. I couldn't why, do it. No, this isn't you. The first one that came up said, why do honeybees love hexagons? That's not me. That's not you. Well, that is a good question. That is. <laughs> love to know bees' preference on shapes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Heather Jones, I watched her TED Talk and I really liked it. Oh, she did one too? Very yeah, cool. it was. Um, 
about just like laughter and the importance of laughter. Oh, nice. It was really nice. Mine, mine's about all the men in my family have killed themselves, <laughs> you know, because of undiagnosed uh, mental illness and uh, like, you know, three or four generations. But besides my grandfather who was locked to a thing. Uh, but the thing was is that we are no one went and got help, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like everyone was miserable and when they never did anything about it, you know, and then I'm the first to, you know, get medicated and therapized and all that stuff. Wow. So, so yeah, the cycle. Yeah, exactly. It's, I think it's called tied to the land. Tied to the land. Maybe. Okay. If I can't find it, I will need you to send that to me. Cause that's very interesting. Yeah. I don't know how good it is, but it's, it's that's fine. how I feel in my family at least is that like, there's just been, um, cause I have bipolar affective disorder and mm-hmm. no one is like, no one talks about it in my family. Right. It's all hush hush. Like they were mm-hmm. like, yeah, grandpa was weird. Right. You know, he thought they were watching us and I'm like, well, can, can you give me a little more insight? Cause I'm experiencing this for the first time. Right. I like, I have no idea what I'm doing or what's going on, but right. I, I think people our age are the, I mean, we're not, I hope we're like 20 years apart, but our age, <laughs> uh, is is like we that we have the ability to like go in and figure out what's happening and work at it and i mean it's not completely stigmatized but it's a lot better than it was yeah and yeah so i i think it's really improved my life just you know going for it because man yeah and that wasn't until my 30s you know what i mean so like i lived 30 years with just a lot of a lot of shit going on but you know, it's, it's doable, viable, possible. Yeah. That's good to know. I, that's just what the path that I'm on is like going out, asking for help, getting the help and sticking to the plan. Mm-hmm. And does that mean that I have like, because of the psych meds, I'm like completely sober from everything, which is another beast of its own. But like, right. I don't know. I feel like the twenties is an okay time to work out the, it, totally. Shiz. I wish I did it in my twenties. Who know where I'd be? Yeah, <laughs> took me till I was thirty nine. So, but look at you now. Right. Yeah. A ripe old age of forty one, finally able to <laughs> talk to strangers in public. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I um, we have some questions from a very special uh fan of the show i'm calling him a fan yeah call him a fan. he's he 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 wants to be a fan so bad um <laughs> his name is carter I love and carter. I, I love carter as well um he says have you ever bought oh, okay sorry these questions <laughs> have you ever bought a similar hole punch to fill out a punch card oh no i haven't but that I is smart saying. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I love sandwiches that much, you know. I love a free sandwich that much. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> it has to be multiple locations, too, right? Because yeah. you can't just go, like, every every time you're like, I just ate 10 things. You were here yesterday. You know, like, they, oh, yeah. They'll well, know. I was very hungry, yeah. Yeah, that is smart, though. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll just get a punch card just to hack it out. Um, What? Okay, sorry, I have to read these before I say them out loud. What makes more sense, having a big funeral for a baby or a small <laughs> funeral for a baby? Um, <laughs> I mean, I would assume small. He didn't exactly have work friends. Oh, you're t- 
I was just imagining like a miniature funeral home, like <laughs> like one of those Christmas towns. Right, right. Oh, that'd be, I mean, that'd be quaint. But right? you're thinking people size. Yeah, yeah. I mean, large. I mean, who would you invite? Yeah, he doesn't know many people. No. <laughs> like, I mean, he's met three. I don't know. I mean, how old's this baby? Yeah. When Wait. when is a baby no longer a baby? Right, right. I think a three year old's still a baby. I can get behind that. I don't know. It's a toddler, but I mean that's a baby. Right, right. I need to find a baby. Yeah. What is a baby and what is a funeral? And that's some would say that's too political for this show. <laughs> it's, it's right in Carter's wheelhouse of his of the jokes he does. He likes he likes to get a little bit dark, <laughs> a little political. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, I am not I'm not reading the last two. All right. <laughs> because um again, I don't take this the wrong way, but it would feel like reading them to my father. And if I I just can't <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I'm fine with it. Not it's not a negative thing. Okay. It's not a negative thing at all. <laughs> You're like father comedy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fine i mean i i'm more than happy with that title okay <laughs> like father time if you have anything you would like to plug oh yeah this is the time to do it all right um go to brokenmagic.com for all the stuff uh like the upcoming shows i don't i don't get that one as much i don't i don't, I don't update that one as much mm-hmm. i should but i don't um but follow us on all the socials broken magic comedy on uh facebook twitter and instagram and you know i'm older because those are the only ones i use um and then um for me tour dates i'll be out in chicago and indianapolis and detroit next week um so go to museum of ugly com for my tour dates um i have a couple of podcasts no coast comedy clubs coming back i just wrapped up the ninth episode uh that will be released soon i'm um, because i got nine in the bank ready to go and then i've started another one with my buddy jacob lowry we used to do a football podcast but we decided we hated talking about football so now, <laughs> now it's just like uh now it's just a bs podcast it's called adult contemporary and it's just uh <laughs> two guys trying to make each other laugh which being very stupid um and i think that's about it yeah i got the podcast oh i'll get my record uh, Midwestern Jokes of the Americas, and watch out for my new record, uh, A List of Wet Celebrities. Tremendous. Tremendous plugs. I uh, That is it for today's episode. Zach, thank you so much for being on and honestly schooling me and everyone listening about comedy. No, I'm just old. <laughs> I'm not that smart. I'm just old. This was super fun. Um, if you like this podcast, please go on Instagram at just Jocelyn around and DM the Instagram account. Ask some questions. If you have any requests on people you want to see on, I'm definitely taking requests. Um, this is like a, a cool radio station where we take requests. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. A Huda Media Production.